whiskey. Welcome to the Whiskey Underground. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the BSEA Whiskey Underground. We're here tonight uh, remotely and separately because we're social distancing, but also in the secret speakeasy. And we're here to relax and enjoy some of the finest made-made creations on Earth, whiskey. Brant. What's happening, man? It's weird doing this in front of, like, computer screens for the first time ever because we, we can't get together anymore. Yeah, it's kind of, it, it makes it difficult to sync up and get you know the the same drinks and glasses and I don't know vibes how and, I don't know how uh, people do this. Yeah, like, I don't know. how do people do this on a regular basis? I mean, this Apparently is weird. There's there's new technology out there where you can look at each other's faces and not be in the same room. Crazy, it's crazy stuff. Yep. Uh, but it is 2020, and you know now we have the technology to do this. So uh, tonight we're doing our part to help social distance and uh, and finally get you guys back into the secret speakeasy uh, to finish up our bond series so we had we had been teasing this for a long time uh we had a little you know coronavirus uh delay because of this but uh tonight we're going to be drinking our little dram of mccallan m we're finally going to top off the bond series we'll talk about some of our favorite bond films of all time and just enjoy what i i really hope is one I was going to say, f- have you had this before? Because no, man, no. the expectations are massive, right? The expectations are real high, real high. Yeah. Uh, have our first dram of McAllen M. Um, and you said a little. You said this is not a little dram. No. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can talk about or say where we got this. So whoever we did, I mean, they were gracious enough to just. I mean, this is a full two, two ounce ounces times two Mac Daddy. Yeah, no, Scott. We were, Scott, when I get when I give you this <laughs> shit from my house, I don't give you this much. No, this is the normal vials we send it. I, so, this came from a this came from a, a bartender friend. Uh, he owns a bar. He was oh, he had just opened up the Macallan M, and and so finally someone had bought some of it, and he said, "Look, would you like to try it? Would you and your podcast like to try it?" He's like, "Don't don't name names because I will be hounded left and right for it, but just." You know, you could talk about that you got it from someone, and so I said, "All right, cool. You know, I'll drop off some vials. You fill whatever you need to fill, and then um, you know, I'll I'll come pick it up, and uh, and then we'll we'll save it for another day." So he filled up a vial. Didn't ask him to, <laughs> but he filled it up. So ordinarily, this is I want to say if you went to a restaurant, if you went to a bar, and I know they have it at Victorian Alberts, and I know they have it at um, Misner's Lounge had it for a while. I think Yachtsman has it. I want to say it's like th- two fifty or three hundred bucks for an ounce. Well, it, it's I think it's the same price as Louis Trey. 
300 an ounce. Yeah, I want to yeah. say it's something like that. I, I haven't seen it on the menu in a long time, but I know it, it'll probably run you at a normal restaurant. If you go to a fine restaurant in New York, you'll find this at a bar or you'll find this at a restaurant for probably in the 2 250 range per ounce. Maybe $300 for two ounces. I think maybe they're going right. So this is some... Oh, man, that's even... Yeah, two... Yeah, okay. Because, I mean, what is this What is this bottle? The bottle is about five grand. Right, so 250, 250 an ounce times... 25? 25 ounces is still not leaving a ton of profit. I mean... No. It's not a ton of profit in there. It's only, what, 500 bucks profit? No. Yeah, yeah, just about. No, 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 no. no. No, five ounce, five ounces of profit. So it's, a, it's 12, about twelve hundred fifty. Yeah, it's about twelve fifty. Yeah. Uh, so so not a bad profit, but again, you got to find the people that are going to drink that bottle of McAllenham at two fifty for two ounces. So or two fifty. Actually, no. If it's two fifty an ounce, you're yeah, getting 250, like two fifty times. There's twenty. There's twenty five two ounce pours in a bottle. No, 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 25 one-ounce pours. Oh, is it really? Oh. It's only 25 ounces in a 750 ml. Oh, okay. All right, so, so yeah. Yeah, then six, six, yeah, so 1,500. Yeah. All right, our math is horrible. Don't, don't judge us. Our math is horrible. horrible. We, we're, we're better at drinking and not, we as are. Good at, not as good at math. But so I mean, be- before now, we get I mean, into at, it. At 300, at 300, you're making 50% profit. So that's, yes, that's worth it. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the McAllen M. Um this is uh, the best way to describe it. It is no age statement, which I, I think for, you know, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll find out. For all those that are shitting on no age statement whiskeys, McAllen said, okay, you don't like no age statement? Don't drink this because this is no age statement. But uh, this, is a, uh, this is a special rendition of McAllen that is, uh, when it comes in its decanter, it comes in this really, really fancy box that opens up. It's got like mirrored backings to it, so it looks like there's six bottles. It's it's ridiculously uh, just gaudy, and the, and it comes in a 750 milliliter Lalique crystal decanter. So this, I mean this this crystal decanter probably runs a thousand dollars itself. Yeah, from what I remember seeing, I mean I've, I have I have a, an account that has the reflection. It's similar similar box to that. And similar, yeah. that's it, also Lily. Is it M Reflection? It's an M Reflection? Yeah. Okay, that's so there's, a, another there's, of their, there's a like, couple different M's, because there's like M Black that came out in 2019, and a couple, there's a couple different renditions of this mark, Re- I guess Reflection, Reflection isn't M, it's, uh, it's more of like them looking back on how they used to make whiskey and saying, okay, this is how we, we this is what we feel the okay. former product used to be. Then it's then it's not that it's it's it is definitely an M bottle. It's God damn, how do you say that? I'm pretty sure it's it. similar to it, it, but it's kind of got like a narrow shape and it flutes up like a champagne glass. Yeah, I don't think it's that. I think it is an it's it's an actual M. But was there more than a one M black? Because I feel like it's a darker bottle than what I'm looking at the regular M bottle. The M black is almost a frosted black lily crystal glass. But was there one that came out prior to, to 2019? Because it, so, it says 2019 release on the current website. Yeah, so um, M came out in that. 2018. So, yeah, I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm looking at the regular M. It's a gorgeous cut bottle. I mean, that, so, big, that big massive, like, V front. So it's kind of like what embodies all the new cuts on the McAllen bottle, having that 
kind of V-necker, V-necktie. The M is just even more drastic. The oh, whole yeah. bottle and cap like covers that big. It's got V. It's got six facets on it, which represent the six pillars of McAllen. Okay. Um, now this bottle is uh, is produced by Bob Dogarno, who's the who's one of uh, actually I think he is the master whiskey maker over at McAllen. They have like seven master distillers, but he's the master whiskey maker. He took two years searching through McAllen's cellars, which contain probably close to 200,000 barrels, to find seven. Seven barrels composed this whiskey. Uh, now, it is no age statement, so we don't know the actual age, but we do know the oldest whiskey in this bottle was distilled and barreled in 1940. So when this was bottled that's a 78 year old whiskey in here somewhere probably minimal minimal amounts but still there's some 78 year old whiskey in this so uh, all the barrels are first fill Oloroso sherry casks so we're probably going to be getting that awesome McAllen flavor just amplified so, are you ready to do it I mean I'm ready to crack it open I mean we could talk about I mean, let's crack it open. I'm gonna pour. I'm only gonna pour half because I gotta save this for. Uh, yeah. Other other sips. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do half. So that's an ounce. It's 300 bucks in your glass right there. Oh man, that smells good. I'm not even close to the nose. I can yeah. smell that, and that's not even. I'm not even near the glass. Let me get this thing sealed back, back right. Make sure that's all good sealed. All right. Brant, you ready to do this? Oh, man. All right. Whoa. So let's, t- let's man, let's yeah. first just talk talk about let's, appearance because we talked about the bottle enough, but when you actually have just liquid in, in glass. Um, yeah, let's talk about it. So, I mean... Honestly, it, it's dark. It's pretty dark for for what it is. I mean, it's a blended whiskey, so it's obviously going to be, you know, the, the oldest whiskeys are going to be pretty dark, but other whiskeys are going to quickly lighten it up. It's got a nice reddish tint to it. I mean, so I would I will say not as dark, not the darkest whiskey I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'd say that definitely for has a definitely. Yeah, I mean, bur- yeah, but definitely has a over amber, right? Like it's not oh, yeah. amber; it's over. It's it's beyond beyond amber. Now, McCallum uh, calls it rosewood, and I, I'd probably, I'd say it's close to that. It's pretty reddish. Man, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. Rosewood's fucking dark. It's more redwood. Yeah. I mean, rosewood, I mean, and I, like this is just the musician in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a rosewood fretboard is, is, a rosewood fretboard is chocolate. I mean, it can be chocolatey brown. Yeah. You know, brown. So I would say, I mean, I'd say it's redwood, but it's definitely, I mean, like I said, it's definitely over amber. It's definitely getting into that. Um, I, w- I think what happens is, hues. so in the display decanter, it's got these facets and they reflect the light. 
and then there are mirrors behind it reflecting light. And there is black wood inside this thing, and I think it gives it a darker color than color than, than a clear. Yeah, in the bottle than when you go into a clear glass. But I'd call it I'd call it pretty a darkish reddish color. Like you move it around and you could see where that dark rosewood yeah. comes in. Alright. Yeah, I'm I'm pulling out my notebook here. I'm too excited to even think about taking it. It was the last thing I grabbed before uh, the governor shut us down. <laughs> well, that and a bunch of whiskey. Jeeves is the only essential employee. He's just making sure no one, you know, no raccoons get in there again. So the ABV on this one is uh, 89.4 proof, uh, 44.7. So it's just around normal for... McAllen's uh, proof uh, proof wise. All right, let's let's get into it. All right, nose on this thing. Holy, whoa, honey and vanilla and I mean it's just all over the place. Yeah, oranges. Oh, uh, so there. I, this. So I I I don't even know where to begin. Like, there's so much sherry, richness, raisins, and yep. marmalade, like orange marmalade. But see, it still has green apple, barley, yeah. fresh, like fresh, fresh Citrus. Fruit. It's like rich, plump cherries, sherry overtones, and then you get these, like, nice, friendly lemons and apples and... Floral See, look, notes. I get, I get, very defined kind of even. I don't know what if some of this is in in the bourbon cast, but like very defined, smooth oak, cinnamon, vanilla, caramel. Yeah, like there's there's kind of a, those classic barrel those notes you'd expect from a classic charred barrel. Like those are there, but then all the great aged malted barley notes um, are right there as well. Yeah, it's it's weird. You do get some like some good citrus and or good uh, cedar cedar wood almost. Like there's some definite good wood notes in there, not just like charred oak. Man, it's a little bit of like leathery. It's kind of like that, uh, not as like rich leather as that uh, double cask we've had. There's a little hint of yeah, like leather a little on bit it. Lighter, lighter leather. Wow. Man. I want to drink it, but I want to smell it more. I know. It's it's really complex. Like so many things going on in this thing. And it's I mean, no ethanol. No. So what do you said what do you think the oldest whiskey in here is? Seventy years? 78 when it was bottled because this was bottled in 18 well released in 18 so it's probably bottled in 2015 or 2016 17 so 76 77 years old yeah there's like no burn to it whatsoever and I love that I love that little hint of orange yeah but it's and it's like just enough to be almost it's a it's a hint but almost the hint makes it prominent with how complex I think when you start thinking about things and you smell, you can pull a whole lot 
you think about you think about marked barley, it's there. Oh yeah, the juice of barley is there. It's there. You think about leather, it's there. There's almost, a, there's almost like a raisiny, like a golden raisin or a, a like yeah. a, okay. yeah, almost like more golden raisin. All right, you want to do it? Yep. First right. taste. I'm kind of excited. Me too. It's like tingling. I'm not going to lie. I'm glad there's a table in front of me. <laughs> me too. So. Wow. All I can think about is. I don't know where this came from. This could be McAllen 21 in a bottle, and I wouldn't know any different, right? I mean, but on the first taste, it's, I mean, the first second it gets on your tongue, it's easy to understand that this is not, this is not an ordinary no. scotch. I mean, it, it, it just, the viscosity, the, the texture, it's thick, it's I mean, I think it's thick. It's it shows rich, rich, rich wood, which is crazy. That Scotch doesn't normally got, have that wood taste. That wood's got that much oak, but it's yeah, it's smooth and rich. It's not like, I mean, you know, when you get young oak, when you have young oak, it's it's oh yeah, it tastes green. This tastes like a, it's all this tastes like a very mature cigar or like I don't know not I say that cigar but like not tobacco but just has that big has boldness it has that charred fire kind of I don't know it's woodsy smoky yeah like everything's yeah. well aged like there's well aged tobacco in this and and you're right it opens up with some really good rich thick wood spices like the 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 mouthfeel is incredibly thick for something as low ABV as 44.5 or 44.7%. And there's just a tiny, tiny hint of smoke in there. Not a big one, but a tiny one. Accompanied by all of those great flavors we already described on the nose, the sherry flavors. Man. And it has, I mean, as it, it kind of goes across the tongue, it has... Like you said, those classic kind of sherry, sherry flavors that you get from the everyday common Macallans. The, I mean, it has the green apple, it has orange, citrus, um, but it has a little bit of that barley juice um, in there. Man, to me, the mouthfeel is the most amazing thing on this. It feels, <laughs> I don't know, it feels like. This is going to be the most oxymoron thing I could say. It feels oily without the oil. Yeah. If that, like, it feel without the slick. It, like, it feels like it has that kind of. I can move it around freely, but it doesn't leave. A, doesn't leave a film. Yeah. It, on my it, mouth, like it's, coat, it coats your mouth, but it doesn't like. It doesn't like leave everything behind when it when it. Correct. When you swallow yeah. it. Yeah. Which I mean, man, I never expected to taste this in my life. So, you know, the more you drink it, as we take little tiny sips, do you find that there? Do you find that there's kind of like a, um, like almost like a, a little hint of like port finish? Like I know none of these have port in them, but I think that's 
just the age in which these have been sitting and cast for. It's kind of got that like rich. But does it not? I mean, man, I definitely get that. So like you're talking about kind of raisiny. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, dried datish. I mean, it is. That's all over it too. But man, to me, the finish, the finish is where that woodsy smoke is the strongest. So that's where it's at. So that's, I mean, as I move it around my mouth and hold it, when you fin- when you swallow it and finish it, to me, that's where that's where the yeah yeah um, I think old, old oak. I think on the finish, I get that like raisiny flavor more. That kind of lingers back a lot more, and along with that oak, that rich wood taste. I mean, this 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 does not taste like over oaked. Uh, it it just has this really rich, like mahogany flavor. I mean, this is Ron Burgundy in a glass. Rich mahogany. <laughs> um. I'm kind of blown away. Yeah. So I like my my finish. I, I think that like the the rich woods kind of lead to this like raisiny uh, port, almost like a port flavor. But I know it's not port because these are all sherry oak. God, that smells so good. Like rich raisins and grapes. There's a lot of richness in this, and 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 for three hundred dollars an ounce, I would hope so. Man, <laughs> it is. It, one thing I will say is definitely it's deep. Like the longer it sits on my tongue, I feel like it's like. It's settling. It's it has this crazy heaviness to it, um, but the finish the finish doesn't drag the back of my the back of my mouth. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's like once again, I, I just like I said, unsophisticated palate just can't drag enough out of this. But I can tell that there's a lot going on in the front, middle of the tongue. Um, and like I said, it's I, I do get the kind of woods wood spices. The the mouthfeel is crazy to me. The classic kind of notes are in there. Um, I taste the classic. Well, I smell I honestly smell more of the classic bourbon notes, the oak, the vanilla, the cinnamon. I smell more of that than I do actually taste it. And then the finish just has a massive, just broad, old oak. Um, smell to it, you know, um, old, old oak and that raisin um, smell. I don't know. It's it's nice and it's it's actually kind of warming, like as you drink it, and oh, 100%. It, it, it's got like a, a, a kind of like what I remember from the Macallan Rare Cask. It's got a long, but never aggressive finish. Like it's not burning as it goes down and stays with you forever, and you got to drink some water to get rid of that that burn. It's just this finish just lingers and slowly dissipates, but in a nice way, like in a in a very good way. I can't I can't describe just how good it is. Yeah, it's it's definitely tough tough so, to describe. So, Brent, one thing too that I think. 
this is great, but I have a feeling that if if you and I had like a men's night and we were at a fine steakhouse and this was kind of the um, first cocktail of the night to awaken the senses, you know, it would it would have a totally different feel and ambience than me just being in my you know in my room looking at you through a computer computer screen. However, you know, like I said, the the senses aren't totally awakening. I'm not you know I'm not I don't have steak sizzling and smells and other things. I was going to say, happen. I think this would be beautiful after a steak dinner. Not, you know, not before dessert or before dessert, not after, but right yeah. after steak dinner and your mouth has had that, you know, the fattiness from the steak and it's got that butter from everything that's yeah. been going on. But like I said, your, your palate's awake and your senses are rolling. You're, 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 yeah. you're in, a, in a, an environment. I think you'd pick a bunch of, bunch of different things out of this, but I mean, even sitting here just, you know, nose in the glass and, and looking at it, it's yeah. So superb. look, we've only got 26 minutes on the show. I want to make this last. So let's uh, let's venture to just the other side of McAllen. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put mine aside, put a little cover on it. Um, because we'll talk about the we'll talk about the numbers on this and the price. Well, let's pour a little bit of the McAllen Estate. So this okay. is this is a, uh, a again. Part of McAllen's new thing where they do no age statements, and this is a no age statement, but it is made using the barley from their own estate, from the Easter Elkies' uh, homegrown barley. So this is the same barley that goes into McAllen M, just much younger, much, 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 much younger. Um, it, it's it's. A rare release, we'll call it a rare release because it's kind of like on that same level of rare cask. Comes in a very, very cool box. It's got slate on the front of it, like a little slab of slate from the McAllen estate. They cut these out of the hills. Um, I think they must have done that when they were making that that uh, evil villain's layer. And then the McAllen uh, Estrelke's estate and the words are kind of inlaid in gold. It's, uh, it's nice. It pulls out and you can actually see a picture of the barley fields. I'll show this to you, Brent, since you're far away. Oh, shit. It's got a picture of the barley fields where this barley was grown. And so this is kind of their celebration of their heritage and their home. Uh, they say it's uh, part of their 485-acre estate, which is set in the legendary Speyside region of Scotland, which has been their home since 1824. The barley fields are on the banks of the River Spey and overlooked by our our iconic distillery. The estate-grown barley is distilled just once a year over a single week, creating an extremely rare and prestigious spirit. So over this, the course of that week, whatever barley they've grown for the year, they harvest and bring back to the, back to the distillery to distill. And then that gets essentially set aside for, you know, years and decades. And that goes into, uh, their more rare, you know, the rare cast, the, uh, Actually, I don't think it goes into the cast. It goes into their estate. It goes into McCallan M, uh, Reflection. Their, their long-age spirits, they keep track of this. So this goes into the long-age spirits, the 25, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, 70s when they come out. So, j- that being said, uh, it is l- the entire bottle is less than the price of an ounce of McCallan M. The whole bottle is less than an ounce of McAllen. Yes, it is 250 bucks for the bottle. 
Um, oh, I can smell the man bright, bright. Ooh, yeah. Which the color of this guy when you look at the color, I mean, this is more straw. Yeah, chest. They call it chestnut, and definitely dark, uh, dark, uh, lighter than chestnut. I think. I think it's more of like a uh, chestnut hue. Yeah. Amber gold, dark, darkened amber. I'll call it. It's not quite really dark, but it's not light. It's definitely not light. It's a little darker. They say straw, but it's a little darker than straw. Oh, definitely darker than straw. That's reserved for like Glenfiddich hey, this, Twelve. I don't. This is the craziest nose. Still that wood spice. I. There's a ton of vanilla on this nose. Okay. Lemon, banana, caramel. 100%. Yep. It tastes like a dessert or something that I have I've have eaten or processed before that I can't really put, put my hands on right now. But. See, I still get a lot of orange. You know what I'm almost getting? I'm almost getting like a Dole Whip. Yeah. There's definitely some like sweet lemon, banana, and that caramel mixed in on that nose. It's really good. I don't know why. See, I, I, I'm definitely lemon and, and, and banana, but I don't know why lemon and banana is equating to pineapple for me. I think it's just citrusy and citrusy and, and tropical. Fruity. Yeah, it's, it's tropical. Yeah. Yeah, I could, de I could definitely get the banana in there now. So Sarah Burgess is uh, responsible for this one. She's one of the newest uh, whiskey makers at the distillery. Man. Ooh. That's, that's kind of delightful, actually. You know what she calls this one? Hmm. Rich and satisfying. Damn. <laughs> it is... It is definitely really a rich nose. It's got a lot going on. A little cinnamon. Those, uh, and that that's kind of that wood spice cinnamon is kind of interchangeable in my mind. It smells like essential oils. Karen would love this. What's the proof on this, Kat? Uh, 43%. 43%. It's nice. It's got that red, uh, the blue ribbon around it. So um, when you get into the older, uh, the older bottles like the 18 now, I think does the 18 have the ribbon yet or no? Uh -huh. So it's a 21, 25, and 30 have this like ribbon and wax seal of the McAllen Estate on it. And then it's got the new uh, tamper-proof top, which I hate. Just don't feel oh, like it seals yeah. down. Man, all right, I gotta, I gotta be done with the nose because I will sit here and nose this all day. All right, get in it. There's definitely some cinnamon and like baked bread too on the, on the nose. That's really, really good. Yeah, there's definitely cinnamon, and that cinnamon definitely translates to the palate. This is just super, super fresh. Like, just, I feel like it was just squeezed out of, out of. A fruit, like yeah. today, it's fresh. It's got just. 
You know, one of the one of the flavors that I usually get with Macallan is that like dried fruits, dried fig, and dates. I feel like this is like candied raisin and like fresher dates and fresher figs. Like, it, it you're right. It feels like everything is much juicier and fruitier and really a a, a, a fresher product. This is definitely on par, or if not above, than the, the rare cast. This is this is damn good. It's and it's got like I don't know for some reason I keep coming back to that that so even the finish has got a little bit limit lemony citrus to the finish. Mm-hmm. Man, this is bizarre. Yeah, the finish like, is the finish is really light and fresh. But I mean, from what you just drank in in M to this, it's almost polar polar opposites. I mean, I, one is one is rich and oily, the other one is light and fresh. Yeah. I feel like it was just I don't know how they did it, how they how they lock in the freshness if that's something to do with the production or just the estate grown barley I don't know you know sometimes so also so Edrington the parent company has a tequila mm-hmm. that they make called Partita and their claim to fame is it's the freshest from harvest to bottle um, they harvest I want to say I may slightly be speaking on a turn, but they, they harvest, process, and bottle within 24, 24 hours. It may just be harvest and process, but I think it's harvest, process, bottle within 24 hours. So they have like the, the freshest juice that, well, or barrel, excuse me, like the freshest juice that goes through the processing process to where its final resting place is, whether it's a stainless steel vat to, to sit for three months to create a silver or a barrel or whatever. Right. It's basically harvested agave, cooked, squeezed, distilled, like in a in the 24-hour period. Um, so where nothing's sitting, nothing's extra exposed. And I'm, I'm, and I'm curious if that's kind of something that plays into with this being that the... the the grain, like you said, the barley is all from a local estate, right? It's all on. It's all on McAllen's estate. It's all. All of it is grown on their where land. The new, that's where the new distillery. So yeah, there's a new distillery kind of high up on the hill, and then set into the hillside, and then that overlooks the entire farm, which is. Uh, I, I want to say there's like five or six fields, so there's like a couple hundred acres of, of barley fields. Four hundred and eighty-five. Well, the entire the entire estate That's is four hundred eighty-five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They've they've also got a gamekeeper fish. Like if if you and I ever go to Scotland, which will happen at some point in time, uh, we can go fishing on the River Spey at the McCallum Estate with a gamekeeper. I think you can go stag hunting there as well. Hmm. Uh, but I'm not sure. I know you can go fishing. They, they have a gamekeeper. They have a game master. That's interesting. This one is... Uh, I just keep going back to the nose and getting... 
some nice tropical fruits, like some nice oranges, citrus, uh, and still those fresh like raisins, like juicy raisins. I don't get the same like rich bread notes that I got from the uh, the M. It's definitely. No, but it's, it is rich. It's, it's totally a, it's a total different ball game. Yeah. Versus versus them, for for sure. I um, I can see where there are similarities. Like there are some similar flavors, but they are completely different. And and again, I I'm guessing that's just you know length uh, length in the barrel, longevity, man. Yeah. But lots of complex layers on this one. Oh, so Scott, I'll lead you off with a little bit of, of Bond tie-in. As we finish some like of the the, the, yeah. the oldest Macallan that we've ever drank. Yes, and like we've talked about before, I'm not the biggest Bond full catalog geek, more as I'm Daniel Craig. So... I'll give you, you know, you've already, you know this, we've talked about it in the episodes before, but my two probably most famous Daniel Craig, or favorite, uh, I'll say my three most favorite Daniel Craig Bond scenes, and you tell me your favorite out of of those, and you can kind of tell me your favorite overall, so I'll let you kind of be the most, the, the favorite Bond scene, but for me, the things that stick out as I've watched Bond, um... I mean, obviously, Bond at the at the gaming table, ordering the Vespa, and having all his colleagues order one around him, and uh, having the villain there kind of be pissed off and like, "Hey, are we gonna play? Are we gonna play cards? Or are we gonna order, you know, order drinks?" That scene where he orders the Vespa for the first time, uh, Martini for the first time, sticks out for sure. Uh, in Casino Royale, and then number two, um, we talked about it, but the car scene where he's leaving the casino and almost uh, runs over uh, Vespa in the car, flips and tumbles, and just the most crazy kind of car chase scene, absolutely sticks out in my mind as a as a great scene. Like I said, this is just me, Daniel Craig. I mean, of course, people will argue with this, but um, and then number three, in no particular order, uh, is the the McAllen 50 gun range classic revolver pistol uh, pistol scene um, in I think that was in Skyfall Skyfall yeah Skyfall Um, that scene I absolutely absolutely love and I also think I I love this one of the openings I think opening scene in Skyfall was it Spectre where he's on the train is it the train scene where he like takes the Skyfall where he's like Mm -hmm. Cuts the freaking car in half with the, the backo. Yeah, it's Skyfall. Um, yeah. Anyway, a couple scenes that I just like stick out in, in my mind without being the total Bond Bond junkie. Um, I don't know of those. Casino Royale is my favorite of the Daniel Craig movies. I think it, it's um, it's hard to pick the of the five films he's done. It's hard to pick them. I I mean. Say what you will about uh, about Quantum of Solace. It's still a decent film. I would pick that over a number of the Roger Moore movies. I, you know, in this quarantine, 
I've had a chance to go back and watch a lot of Bond films. Um, I follow uh, a Bond, uh, a Satorial Bond, I think it's uh, Suits of Bond, on Instagram and on their blog on, uh, on the internet. And they've been doing different Bond movies and trying to pair them up. So I've kind of been watching them over the course of this. I would definitely take every single Daniel Craig film over any Roger Moore films. And that, not to say that Roger Moore is bad. I like Live and Let Die. I think it's a great film. I like Spy Who Loved Me. But I would watch the Daniel Craig films over those time and time again. So to sit here and say that, you know, I get it. I get why you're a Daniel Craig film fan. He's awesome. He did a fantastic job. I am sad to see him go. And I think it's honestly, I think it's just more of when I got, when in my life I got into action films, that's who took over. You know, I'm like, I was little Pierce Brosnan, Mm -hmm. you know, era, but like in my, in my lifetime when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm an adult. I can make my own decisions on what movies I watch. You know, yeah. I, I'm, this is what this is what I'm watching, and and Daniel Craig was just right there, and those first couple those first couple ones. I mean, it was Casino Royale his first? Yeah, 2006, one? I believe. Yeah, so like that first one was just I was just like, all right, boom, I'm sold. I'm I'm all, I'm all yeah. in Casino Royale. Let's go. So uh, of those three scenes, I definitely I definitely like them all. I mean, you cannot go wrong with those scenes. Uh, the 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 card table when he's. Uh, you know, he's basically saying, oh, I'll have a dry martini shaking that story. Wait a minute, hold on. That's too James Bond for me. Let me go. And honestly, this drink... It's almost about he's he's throwing off. He's throwing off everyone at the card table with a complex drink order that they are all now listening to. And and their mind is now on a on a drink order and not on what they're doing. Exactly. And and I think what's great about it is it brings back and it harkens back to the actual novels. Yeah, look, you watch the old movies, the ones that were written off of novels. They have a lot of similarities to them. Some less than others. Moonraker is not nearly is loosely based on the novel, and I would I would say that if you watch Moonraker and read the novel, they are completely different. Uh, but again, the the Moonraker book was written in 1954. The novel was made in 1970, or the movie was made in 1977, as a direct response to Star Wars. So you get you get why they did that. But anyways, uh, love that order because it brings back the classic martini, the Vesper martini that was long forgotten. Because in the 60s, vodka was the big uh, alcohol of choice. Uh, everyone was going to vodka. You know, uh, fuzzy navels. Uh, uh, screwdrivers. It was basically let's make vodka drinks. So, the vodka martini became a thing. I mean, prior to the fifties or sixties, gin martinis were what you would drink. You wouldn't drink a vodka martini. So it was a gin martini that was the thing. I like it because it brings it back. It's you know a little bit. It's mostly gin, a little bit of vodka, half a measure of kinalilay, and then shake over ice and. Serve with that large, thin slice of lemon, and it's a wonderful drink. And we will drink it on on camera. We will drink it. Maybe we'll do a live review of the Bond film once we're all said and done, because Bond has been pushed back. So I think what we'll do is we'll save the Vesper Martini for one of our our, our live shows, now that we know how to do that. And, uh, And we'll drink the Vesper Martini after the Bond film comes out, so you guys can go see it, and then we can talk about it. We can give our review of it. 
So maybe we'll do that in November instead of or November December instead of uh, right now. Um, because like we're busy enjoying some ridiculously rich Macallan whiskeys yeah. that I never want to run out of, but unfortunately one of them I'm going to. <laughs> um, so, so, so scene, so scene two, the car, the car, the car chase. Yeah, I mean, chase, look, chase. Bond car chases are famous, but what's great about this one is, uh, and again, it, it goes back to the car chase in the book in Casino Royale. Where it's you know him chasing, him chasing another car. There's no gadgets, no trick things. There's no uh, nothing that's nothing that's going over the top about it. It's just a good car chase. And ultimately, I mean, he he loses this car chase. Mm-hmm. Just like he did in the novel. Yeah. Um, you know, which some I guess a great part of Bond films is. He loses, and then he's got a, some kind of way out of fucking nowhere. Find save, yeah. save himself and find a way out. Save himself, get the girl, save the world. It's it's really... And I think what I, I like more about the Daniel Craig series is Daniel Craig's Bond is closer to the, the novel Bond. I mean, Connery was incredibly uh, misogynistic. And, and don't get me wrong... Fleming's Bond is also misogynistic, but in a totally different way. In almost every novel, uh, Bond, uh, Bond falls in love with the girl that he's that he's with, and wants to marry her and wants to save her. Just like, just like Daniel Craig. I mean, literally, Daniel Craig falls in love, what, three times? I mean, yeah. he he was ready to quit over Vesper. He quit. He actually did quit over Madeline. Um, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a definite different bond than, than the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even Pierce Brosnan. I mean, Pierce Brosnan, you can't, yes, they had women, they were with women, but only, the only other bond to actually fall in love was uh, Lazenby who actually got married. And then they killed her. So, was it Lazenby? Yeah, it was. It was definitely it was definitely Lazenby. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I like I like the I like the Daniel Craig series. All right, your third scene was, um, the vintage vintage gun scene and the, yes. uh, the McAllen yes. fifty or classic classic Bond scene. I, I don't know. That may be my favorite favorite one because the because the the. I, I, like the, the the tension in that scene. Yeah, because Bond knows he's lost it. And Bond knows he's not the the same guy he was. He's handicapped because of the uh, the depleted uranium cells in his shoulder. He is uh, he's outmatched by by Silva, both mentally and f- and physically at this point. And he's not. Yeah, he's, he's he's pretty much captured. The girl's captured. And he's not going to shoot her. So he does his best to try and actually do what he's supposed to do. And, you know, he, you know, obviously he, he misses that shot because he's, again, physically hampered. And then I love, I love his reaction to Silva, you know, shooting the girl. And his first reaction is, 
that's just a waste of good scotch. And right. it is. It truly is. I mean, it's it's a classic quip, and then he goes and literally beats the shit out of everyone and takes Silva hostage. It's great. Great scene. And, and yeah. the best part is, you know, we, we've grown up with Bond with all these gadgets, and this is the first time he's introduced to the new Q, and he gives him a gun and a radio. And, and I love that line. It's not exactly Christmas, is it? <laughs> and then Q is like, what were you expecting, an exploding pen? <laughs> so it, it, it's such a great scene when he's like, he's like, what, are you going to take me back yourself? He's like, no, I've got this little thing called a radio. <laughs> right. And then the whole British Air Force comes in, and the SAS is uh, you know, dropping in out of their helicopters, and they capture Silva. I don't know. I love that scene. I also love a couple scenes at Skyfall. Uh, the first of all, the battle at Skyfall is amazing. Um, but I love the scene with Albert Finney, and Bond is out on the the moors, and he's like, "Okay, now, you know, don't let it pull you to the left like I taught you when you were a kid." And he's like, "I think I'm okay. I I'll try to remember that." <laughs> and then he literally blasts like three teacups from like. 60 yards away yeah you know doesn't break a sweat <laughs> and Finney turns to him uh, I forget the, I forget the character's name uh, but Finney turns to him Albert Finney turns to him and goes what did you do for a living again <laughs> it's like import exports right <laughs> no I I honestly that was in that was Skyfall yeah that was in Skyfall, Skyfall. I, I love I love Skyfall I think Skyfall is probably one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, between the track, uh, the the film itself, the introduction of Ray Fiennes as Emma, which I really do like Ray Fiennes as Emma, because uh, he's kind of a hard ass. He's kind of he kind of does remind remind me of Bernard Lee back in the day. Um, he, he's a good character. He's a good pl- you know he plays that character really well. So it's nice to see him introduced as him. And I love the scene at the end when Bond comes into the, to the office, which is a recreation of, of Bernard Lee's old office uh, in the old War Department building. And he's like, you ready to get to work? And he's like, with pleasure. With pleasure. But funnily enough, he actually doesn't work for M. He goes off on his own mission in, in Spectre. I mean, like, he goes rogue. He does his own thing. They cut him off. They literally cut him off. He actually gets cut off quite a bit in his films. Daniel Craig does. He goes rogue in Casino Royale. He goes rogue in um, in Quantum of Solace. They actually, you know, cancel his passports, cut all his credit cards. And, and I love that scene when he goes to Mathis and he's like, Mathis is like, what? Did MI6 run out of plastic? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... Honestly, looking back at Daniel Craig's time, I honestly think uh, most of those movies I would watch over a lot of even the Connery films. Like, I mean, uh, apart from from Rush with Love, Goldfinger, and Thunderball, and even then it's like I could go one and one and watch them like 1A, 1B. So I, I love Daniel Craig. I really hope this isn't the end for him. Unfortunately, I do think he is serious this time. He's out after this one. 
Yeah, that's what he said. You know, he said that the last time, and he said he would never do another Bond film. I mean, the paycheck came in. Paycheck speaks a lot, but you know, he's fifty. It was, it was one of the, it was one of those uh, like fake checks, but on the back it said, "If you cash this, you are <laughs> obligated to do another Bond film." Well, he, part of the requirement was he wanted to do some like real acting. So, in order to entice him, Barbara Broccoli, the producer, uh, fully funded a West End um, like drama stage play that he could do, so he could show off his chops as an actor. He, he wants to be taken as a serious actor, and I get that. You know, we all want to be uh, Daniel Day Lewis, I'm sure, but sometimes, you know, Tom Cruise has made a lot of money, and Tom Cruise made a lot of films that bring joy to people's hearts. Sometimes it's not about being an artist, but making people happy. I mean, hell, yeah. that's Chris Pratt's motto. So, yeah, and what's crazy is I uh, I had insomnia a few weeks ago when all this crap happened, and I was nervous about what the world was going to, and I sat up and watched a documentary on Spielberg, and in the documentary, um, Liam Nielsen was talking about in Schindler's List it was the first time I think he worked with Spielberg and he said that Spielberg literally nitpicked every single thing he did and he said down to the scene where he was in the club smoking a cigarette and it was I think basically a silent scene with music playing in the background so they cut the, the scene and then just dubbed music on top of it and it was to the point where he was sitting there smoking a cigarette and Spielberg was directing every single second like take a breath pull it closer go to the right look to the left blow out exhale blow it let it roll up your nose like let it roll up your nose into your eyes close your eye like he was like directing every second by voice and Liam Nielsen was like I'm not an actor yet a puppet but at the end I realized that the greatest puppet master had his hands in yeah you know in creating the you know in creating what we were doing um, but yeah I mean sometimes you gotta realize you are a great actor but you're a great actor because you have direct you know you had the right right direction yeah exactly or the right story or the right scene or the right you know whatever the case the case may be not that you just drop anybody in Daniel Craig's Positioning would be great, but yeah, sometimes it's more about the story you're portraying than the person, you know, the yeah. person. And, and that's why I have high hopes for the Bond series. Um, uh, Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson, they do a fantastic job. Uh, you know, she she's taken... So, the Broccoli family, Albert Cubby Broccoli was the original producer um, for many and many, many of the films. Actually, all of them up until... I want to say Tomorrow Never Dies or Scott, or um, uh, The World Is Not Enough. I think he died after The World Is Not Enough uh, finished rapping and Barbara took over. But Albert Broccoli and Ian Fleming were, were good friends and he was the one who brought the stories to life on film and gave these books national recognition. I mean, they were, they were, they were bestsellers. They were, I mean, they're, they're definitely... Um, not great works of, of fiction by any means. They're not, you know, they're not F. Scott Fitzgerald, <laughs> but they were bestsellers yeah. because they're thrilling stories with uh, definitely a lot of smut. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. If you read these books, it, it describes the naked breasts of women. 
<laughs> and a lot of them actually banned. I mean, true story, a lot of these books were banned by many many places in the in the world because of their pornographic nature. Hmm. In 1953, of, of no less. So Scott, talking about. M and drinking Macallan M. Yep. So what's your what's your greatest Bond film? What's greatest Bond scene? Man, that is hard because there's 25 films. Um, okay, well, what's the one when when you just when someone says James Bond, the first thing that comes to mind? You gotta think. Just whenever you know, whenever you, know, you think about James Bond, what plays? What what is the first thing that plays in your? I, I think it's got it's got to be a couple of a couple of films. So I have to I have to do this one A one B again. I, I think iconically it is the scene from Doctor No where um, where Bond is playing Baccarat in a casino, and you don't see his face until he's won three hands in a row, and the she he's he's essentially bankrupted the woman at the table and she has to ask for credit. Back from the casino, and he ha- in in background, he's the bank, so he has to approve it. And he says, "That's fine." And then she cut. She asks him what his name is, and it's the classic, you know, Connery with a cigarette hanging out, wearing his Turnbull and Asser uh, shirt, wearing his Anthony Sinclair suits. Turns and says, "Bond, James Bond," with his cigarette hanging in his mouth and I think it's just a classic classic Bond moment and I think from the new film the new films I really really love the scene the end scene from Casino Royale when Mr. White when he's when he's hunting down Mr. White and he calls him and then shoots him from afar and as Mr. White's White's crawling away Bond in his three-piece suit, with a assault rifle holstered over his shoulder, says those classic words for the first time in his in his career because he didn't say them at all uh, during the film, and says Bond, James Bond, and that's the title. That's the title of the track that um, I forget who wrote the wrote the score for that, but that's the title of the track. Is the name's Bond. So yeah, that so that's that's the scene where Mr. White's house is like on a peninsula kind of, yep. and he shoots him from afar, and, and then like, walks up to him. Yeah, and then walks up to him. Yeah, and that yeah. he's I forget which. And Mr. White doesn't know who he is. No, Mr. White didn't know who he is at the at that point. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, what was he wearing? He was wearing Brioni. Yeah, the Italian uh, suit maker that that kitted out uh, Pierce Brosnan. He was wearing Brioni. Uh, suit with church's shoes. So basically all the same stuff from Brosnan. It wasn't until uh, the next couple films that he starts wearing Tom Ford almost exclusively. I, if you can't tell, I like Bond fashion too. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Alright, um, what is your favorite Bond scene? Like your all-time favorite then? I know you mentioned those three. What's your I mean- all-time favorite? I mean, I think I think the the, the silver scene with the vintage guns, just because I like the single shot vintage, you know, the single shot vintage guns. I like the whiskey. I like, uh, I just like the whole scene. That scene, they're kind of like in a, um, 
like in a a, a ruined town, factory yard, yeah. ruined town, like ruins, and she's up against like a concrete pillar, kind of. So the the story was that thought. that was an island that was inhabited by a bunch of people, and what he did was he wanted that island, so he created a fake virus and used a computer to scare everybody off the island, and then took it for himself. Imagine. All right, so, so these two whiskeys. Yeah. Let's let's talk about these two whiskeys real quick as we finish up. Yeah. Um, let's start with McCown Estate. Good whiskey, very good whiskey. I would definitely, you know, this Man, is surprisingly good. This is one I think, you know, we talked about it with McCallan Rare Cask. Would I buy McCallan Rare Cask regularly? I don't know because it is real expensive. This one. A little bit less, fifty bucks less. I think this would be this would be one that I would buy once in a while, maybe like once every couple years if they come out with it. I do like the rich sherry, um, and the more I drink it, I get a little toasted walnut actually, like a yeah. walnut oil. This is one that if I had a um, if I had the whole collection of the drinks by the dram, um, this is one that I, I'm, I'm, I it brings me back to those. Crazy, unexpected um, taste from those single cast drinks by the Dram uh, scotches we had. Like when I poured this, I wasn't expecting that much brightness and freshness. And um, great part about it too, Scott, is not freshness, um, which you can get from maybe some younger bourbons where you have that, that green oak, green wood. This is just a freshness of. of ingredient but still well seasoned well aged um, tasted like a mature whiskey but just had this crazy freshness to it like like I know it was in a bottle it's not an age statement like you said but I would assume it's probably the majority of juice is a 10 plus year yeah uh, you know and probably even longer than that right because I mean for the price point probably even even greater than that I think the majority of this is probably in the in the 15 to 17 year old range with probably some I mean, 18 you know, you're and 25 in blue, there. You're saying blue ribbon. I mean, 20, 21 years are wearing blue ribbons. I mean, it may even be in the... It may even be some of it in... in, in a oh, there's there's definitely 25 um, to 30 in there. Because there's definitely some age... Um, there's some age... Like, old... Ancientness to it. Age, ageness to it? What are you... Ancientness? Ancientness? Uh, how I would, like ancientness. How we... I, there's some longevity to this thing in barrels. Because yeah. you get a good wood note to it. Yeah. No, I agree. So, I mean, I, I, I love it. So, I mean, for me, I'm going to tell you score um, 91. I think it's solid. It's above average. It's um, in that higher end in wheelhouse. I think I, I think I had a rare cask at 91. I think you did um, too. So, I, I think it's right there. Yeah, and, and that's what I did. I kept it right on par with rare cask. It's a 93 for me. Um, I really like it. Both are great no-age statements. I, I think I like... This just a little bit more because it's not as oaky as the rare cask, and I think the rare cask was just a little tiny bit over oaked. Um, but this is really good, and yeah. for, and for two fifty a bottle, it's definitely a, a splurge bottle. But you're gonna get some of those Macallan, you know, eighteen twenty five flavors. I mean, it's it, it's up there with Macallan eighteen. I would put it up there with Macallan eighteen. And you'll spend fifty bucks less. So it's, it's definitely not something I would pass on. It's not something I'm going to go search for, though. 
and and yeah. fully stock on the shelf at all time. Like Rare Cask. I said that about Rare Cask. I wouldn't stock it all the time, but I would definitely get it once in a while. So then now, to, moving on to something that's 20 times more. Lots more expensive. 20 times more expensive. This is outstanding. And it's it's hard not to just say just full marks, give it the 100. But I gotta, I gotta do that. I gotta, I gotta ding it just a little bit because it is ridiculously expensive. And honestly, but for the, you know, the kindness of someone's heart, uh, there's almost no way I ever taste this. Correct. And I, I 100% agree because up until this point, the most expensive single dram I've ever personally paid for. Um, I've had the luxury of tasting a couple other things, but personally paid for, which I literally got slapped in the face by my wife's eyeballs, uh, <laughs> was that rare cask black, black. Um, on the Disney Dream, and it was about 140 bucks for the right. the dram. So half or less than half of what this pro- this would have cost, um, and this is phenomenal. There, I mean. It is just just the what I mean. What you'd say the mystique of it all. It's, it's yeah crazy. Not to mention though that the taste uh, lives up. I mean, so the way the what I'm gonna say about this one, I really love it. I absolutely love everything about it. It is delicious. It is you know mouth wateringly oily and yet also perfectly light to go with it. Like, it, it just, it marries, everything marries perfectly in this glass. There's so many layers. Like, you smell it now, and there's a couple of other things that I pick out. That being said, you know, and I go back to my one of my favorite whiskeys, Glendronic 21, the Parliament, and that's about 213 or $14 for a bottle. I give this one a 99. I got to ding it for that one point just because I can't give it perfect because it's not perfect. It's just so damn expensive. Damn. It's ridiculously good. I cannot give it enough praise. If, you know, with lottery money, with, you know, you know, $500 million in the bank, absolutely I would have bottles of this. Bottles of this. But, that being said... For twenty times less, go go grab that Glendronic Twenty One Parlor. Yeah, no doubt. So, so you gave Glendronic Parliament a ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. Okay, and this is a ninety ninety-nine. It's a ninety-nine. So I I gave Glendronic Twenty One a ninety, um, and the highest I've ranked anything ever has been Little Book Chapter One at ninety-four. Um, this also gets a 94 uh, for me, so this is this is definitely the highest ranked Scotch and the highest tied uh, rank whiskey for whiskey for me. Um, not that I not that I fault you for a 99 in any stretch of the imagination. I just I don't I don't know how to get there when I'm when I'm. 
tasting something just because I guess I can't, I can't pull enough of the flavors that I want out of this, but I will say this is, without a doubt, Scotch World, the most complex, it. Br- brilliant, well-put-together blend of Scotch um, I've ever tasted. Just like I think Little Book is the most well-blended whisk, American whiskey um, I've ever tasted. I mean, both of them are blends that someone literally spent time crafting, um, and I, I think it's it's pretty superb. Like I said, 90, 94 for me, but that's A plus in, in my book. Um, I agree. Yeah, awesome. it's it's amazing. Uh, it, it is sad. I mean, I've got one ounce left. I'm gonna save it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe revisit it in six months and see what I say, but I, I just think it's really good. I can't. I gotta give it such a high mark that I'm. I'm because I know I'm probably gonna never have it again, and I just want to cherish it and savor it and and go all go all George on it and make it my pretty new pet. But I can. Yeah, I can imagine I won't have it ever again in my life unless someone is just. Again. Gracious enough to give yeah. it to me again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, look, like we said earlier in the podcast, uh, we are going to be doing the Vesper Martini. But you know what? It just turns out Bond's getting pushed back to coronavirus. Uh, we're kind of pushed so back. So are we. To, so are we. <laughs> we have to still procure some ingredients for it. And, you know, that just went to shit. So when we're all said and done with this thing in November, which I know we will be because we're America and we're greater than anyone else, uh, we'll do the Vesper Martini. We will talk about Bond. We'll talk about the new movie. Uh, we'll give some critiques of it, and we'll make the, the you know the classic Daniel Craig cocktail because you know it's made famous by him in the movie. And we'll uh, we'll enjoy it. So until that time, we'll uh, hopefully over the next couple months we'll be able to do some more of this social distancing thing. This kind of worked out okay, right? It was fine, man. Yeah, it worked. It worked good. It's. Uh, I mean, we don't have to see Jeeves, which is kind of nice. Right, right. Jeeves got a clean bar bar back. And yeah. No messy spills. Yeah, he's all good. We don't have to. He doesn't have to clean up after us. So, uh, it works out for everyone. So look, uh, going forward, we're going to be doing some more uh, some more episodes. We'll do some more short pours. Um, I'm going to have a little hiatus because of a move but we should be okay with that i mean i gotta move houses for just a couple months but um i think we'll be okay we'll be able to still record and we'll be able to still make some uh make some content for you guys yeah figure it out you know since we're since we're social distancing it doesn't matter correct so look uh brant uh as we as i take the last sip of my McAllen M. <laughs> all right long last the whiskey Please make this last. Uh, Long live the adventure. Long live the adventure. Absolutely. So if you came here to learn. Drink what you learn. If you came here to share. Share what you drink. If you came in here a stranger. May you exit a friend. And if you came here for adventure. Drink, drink up. up. And I sure the hell hope it's McAllen M. <laughs> Please do so.